Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Fragments of Silicon, the single child of a hard-working single motherboard. <laughs> Those are just going to get more out there as time progresses, aren't they? I'm trying not to repeat myself. <laughs> oh, God. That's hence my statement. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, welcome to another Fragments of Silicon European special. Now, uh, been a couple weeks since we've done one of these, uh, but here we are. So, uh, this week we are welcoming uh, Witsa and Niles of Code Glue to the show. Hi there. Hello. Yes. Uh, how are you doing uh, today? Yeah, doing pretty good. Had a productive day so far. So, uh, yeah. so it's the going well. It's not all bad either, so... What? No, better than yesterday. That's good. Not as much rain. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, as we so often like to start at the top of any uh, interview... We'd like to get to know our guests a bit better, and uh, we do that by asking, how did you first, uh, how did you both uh, first get interested in video games? Uh, for me, that started with uh, my brothers actually playing a lot of games. Mm-hmm. So I remember this one instance of my, my oldest brother, he bought the Rattler Collector's Edition from all his savings, <laughs> which my parents didn't really like. <laughs> Uh, and then I watched him play the game basically and as I grew up I started playing more games myself so like Super Mario World because we had a Super Nintendo at home later on I moved to like uh, Warcraft 3 played that a lot wasted way too many hours on World of Warcraft I guess <laughs> and I don't know yeah it, it kind of grew yeah yeah it's for me it's uh, my uncle had a computer um, and had Doom on it so I played that, uh, actually, and it's also the first Wolfenstein. And my dad got the computer really early, um, and he was in two games. So I just, you know, watched him play, and then I wanted to play. And that's sort of how that grew for me. It came all very natural. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fairly standard story. I mean, I think that's how all of us got into video games, you know, through our parents or siblings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, yeah. Anyway, uh, to expand uh, to expand on that question, uh, how did you get interested in vi- uh, in making video games, video games uh, at a professional level? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I believe I was playing 
Um, well, so when I was 11 or 12 years old, I think I believe Half-Life 2 came out. I'm not sure about the age, but anyway, I started um, interested. I wanted to make maps, basically. I was playing Counter-Strike and Half-Life 2, and I was making a map. That was the thing I wanted to learn. So I looked up on the internet, looked up Hammer Tutorial, uh, which was the editor that uh, source uh, uh, or the source engine used, um, and I found this whole mapping community, and then I realized I'm not that great, <laughs> um, but I did have an affinity for programming. Um, so yeah, it was basically me going to university and then working my ass off, making sure that I can uh, program games. Pizza. Mm -hmm. Um, I I actually started making a couple of maps for Warcraft 3 because I used to really love the custom maps in there, things like battleships. I don't know if anyone knows it, but um, I, I got really hooked to that. And then, you know, Warcraft 3 had its own level editor, so it was really easy to uh, try new things out and make crazy units that made no sense whatsoever. And then uh, it was time to go to university, and I actually went to a, a game design course. Um, yeah, so that, that's how it started for me. All right, uh, so you both came out of university and the, and the mod scene. Yeah, sort of, I guess. But not really, right? Yeah. We didn't actually make any mods, but we tried, I guess. Yeah, we, we did some stuff, and we failed horribly, and then we learned how to make games. <laughs> Yeah. That seems to still be important, you know. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. like it's. I think it's important that you have that, you know, the drive to actually make something. Like even if you don't know what you're doing, you know, that's totally fine. Like as long as you have that drive, you'll learn. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, was Code Blue your first uh, job in the industry, or did you work elsewhere? Mm, that's a good one. For me, actually, it was uh, my. I started here as an intern, like a, a couple of years ago, um, and that was my first internship. So my university uh, allows you to do two internships, uh, and Coglu was actually my first internship. Um, so also my first company where I actually, you know, made a game in a professional setting. I think for Witze, yeah. Uh, I I did an internship at a at a company that made like physical games, where I did learn a lot. Then after the study, I started my own company with a couple other students, us uh, rich Benitos, where we made Westerado double barrels. And then after that, I stopped that and started working at Coglu. So I guess it's the third company I worked at. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, I worked at a lot of other companies before actually getting back here again. But uh, yeah, Coglu was my first company where I started. Neat. And uh, how long have you two uh, been uh, working at Coglu? Oh, um, I believe I'm here now four years. Hmm. I think so. <laughs> anyway, time goes really fast, so about four years. Hmm. For me, it's been since July. Yeah. So uh, a bit more than half a year, almost a year, I guess. Almost a year. Yeah. Time goes, <laughs> yeah. Time goes by fast. Mm. Ah. Yeah. Uh, time goes by at different rates uh, depending on your life, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. I mean, uh, so uh, I assume uh, I'm trying to figure out which project uh, you would have come in on. As, 
you know, because like uh, like what was Code Blue working on four years ago? Mm, so Koglu, uh, so Koglu is mostly porting games. Um, four years ago, we were working on Ip and Up from uh, uh, from Sparpuit. Um, so we did all the programming and a bit of the art, uh, but we worked very tightly with Sparpuit on Ip and Up, um, which is you know was released first on PlayStation 3, um, and now it's also on Steam. Um, but also at the same time, we were working on Rocket Riot which was a game we released on the Xbox 360. Um, and then we Microsoft asked us actually to port that game over to Windows 8 as a release game. Um, and that, that's basically, they hired me to do that. Um, oh. So that's, that's where I started. Oh, well, I have to ask what it was like working uh, with the Windows 8 store because, you know, <laughs> we so rarely hear about that. Yeah, <laughs> For yeah so... For for us, it's basically um, so. The main thing that that you you run into is that we're working on an OS which is not stable yet because we would receive you know alpha versions of the OS, beta versions, um, and you know sometimes they release a version that just totally broke my computer and I had to reroll. Um, so that so the Windows Store itself is is okay, like it was it's not really different compared to Android or iOS, I would say, and there are some differences of course, but. Yeah, you know, from a programming standard, it doesn't really matter that much. Um, but working with an unstable, you know, an un- unstable version of Windows is, is you know, was the main issue there. I can imagine because I've worked with unstable versions of Windows. Yeah. That's not fun. <laughs> no, it is not fun. No, no. <laughs> Especially if you're working for like two hours and you lost all your work. Uh, you know, that was <laughs> we had one day we just you know lost two days of work because of Windows crashing. Yeah, that. And was- then we. Yeah, I think everyone has their own Windows story, crashing crashing Windows story. Especially, you know, like with the earlier versions. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, say what you will about the modern stuff, but, like, I haven't had nearly the amount of, like, crash rates like I did with Windows. No, exactly. And I think Windows 10, well, especially from starting on with... With eight, actually, like eight, also did a pretty good job. Like on the UI wise, it wasn't that great, but stability once it came out. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, yeah. Now for the uh, for the uninitiated, what exactly are the games Rocket Riot, uh, Rocket Riot, and Ibn Arm? All right. So uh, Rocket Riot is um, is a yeah, is a is a is a arcade shooter basically. It's a twin stick shooter. Um, it's set up like in a uh, 3D pixel universe, um, so you can yeah you play basically def you have several game modes, um, but one of them is deathmatch and you play in this level right and you have to kill uh, enemies and it's like a very arcade style gameplay like it's very easy to pick up and play um, and because you can destroy the entire level um, and it, it automatically regrows back. It's very hectic, and yeah, it's uh, a short game sessions, but yeah, it's quite fun to play actually. Mm. Uh, Ipnop is a uh, co-op platformer. Um, basically, yeah, the game mechanic. Yeah, maybe Vita can describe that better than me actually. Well, uh, so the base is of course a platformer, but what it does is you have this line in the middle of the level um, yeah. where at which you reverse. Yeah, so if you're on top of the line, then the gravity goes down, and if you're on bottom of the line, then the gravity goes 
up. Um, and you can jump through this line at certain points, and uh, you can jump on top of each other's heads. And like by switching this and helping each other out, you can you can like beat enemies and gather points and get yeah. up to platforms where normally you wouldn't get. So it's a, yeah, it's, it's a lots of puzzles. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually yeah, it's a really nice game. I find at least. Yeah, and definitely. I believe it's like completely co-op. Like yeah, yeah, yeah you can't yeah. play it single player. Well, you could try, I guess. <laughs> no, no, we removed that. So, uh, so yeah, this is actually a funny story. So for the, we did have single player in it, um, but uh, what we found out is that if people, so the game is made for purely co-op, but we added the single player option so that people, you know, if they really wanted to to try, they could play single player. Uh, but the game is not made for single player. Like the controls, they are not as great. It just, it just doesn't really work. Um, but what we found out is that a lot of reviewers would actually uh, play the game in single player mode. And so they would play this you know, horrible state of the game, which is, <laughs> isn't really fun. Uh, and they would g- give us like a bad rating. They're like, oh, this game is actually, ex- actually isn't that fun. And then you get the other hand where you know, reviewers actually do play co-op or you see YouTubers playing co-op and they have you know, an amazing time. It's a uh, situation there. So we decided on the Steam release that we would remove the single-player option. Um, yeah, But uh, we sort of solved that, well, at least we think we solved it by selling uh, two copies for almost the price of one. Mm. And is the multiplayer both co-op and local, or is it just like online only? No, it's uh, definitely local and also online, so... That's good. Uh, you know, it's always good when PC games have those options, like because yeah, usually like when you're dealing with the PC version, it's like only got the online. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you sometimes you just want to you know team up behind the behind the single screen. Mm-hmm. Most fun. Yeah, it is the most fun. Just you know. right. It and is a true relationship test as well. Okay. <laughs> In I played it with my girlfriend. It involved quite some uh, frustration at some point. <laughs> this seems to be a rather uh, good couples game, from what I've seen. Yeah. 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 It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really planned that way, I guess, but it turned out to be. I couldn't say. Yeah. But. Uh, but anyway, um, perhaps the game you're. M- well, maybe most known for, or you know, certainly the mo- most famous game is Terraria, and yeah. you guys have uh, been behind uh, like all the mobile versions. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, did you guys do the 3DS version? Yeah, yeah, that one as well. Yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to remember. Uh, did you do the Vita version? Nope. Okay. So uh, we'll start with like the mobile versions. Uh, mm-hmm. So, what was it like uh, taking a game that's, you know, uh, surprisingly big like Terraria and yeah. putting it into a mobile space? Yeah, yeah, that's insane. Uh, to be honest, like when we started on it, uh, we knew that people would play the game because it already had a huge following on Steam on the internet, um, and this actually. You know, in the whole development process, this was actually something that we kept in the back of our minds. This is going to be played by a lot of people, so um, we actually went back on a lot of things. Um, you know, making sure that it is as good as we would, you know, that it would be. Um, 
And yeah, so that's sort of the initial. So we had an initial phase of like a couple of months where we worked on it. Um, and then uh, we we actually redid most of that work <laughs> because we um, yeah we just think think it wasn't good enough. Uh, this is mostly related to UI. Like getting UI working on a small iPhone screen was uh, really difficult uh, because of all the extra edge cases that Terraria has. Like for example, it has a um, which is I don't believe it's still in the game is um, a GPS, so it shows you where you are on on the level. Um, which is this, you know, your item you can equip, and then you have this information. Uh, yeah, Terraria has a lot of stuff on the screen. Yeah, it has a lot of stuff on the screen. And if you, you know, your iPhone only has a, rest, you know, a small screen estate, so you can't show everything. Uh, also, your thumbs, of course, are in the way, so you can't use the corners, uh, because then you can't see the information. Uh, your buttons have to be big enough for it to be able to touch. Yeah, lots of issues there, but yeah, I think we did an okay, like a pretty good job in the end. Does Terraria support like Bluetooth controllers and stuff like that, or is it just touchscreen controls? Uh, no, we have uh, Bluetooth controller support, uh, not all of them. Um, for iOS, I believe we well we support all the Apple official ones, and I believe for Android we have uh, the Moga Moga controllers. Mm. Um, so, but from our uh, analytics, not that many actually people play with it. Like, I believe like 95% play with touchscreen. Mm. Yeah, well, that's kind of always the the deal with um, uh, iOS or you know mobile gaming. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yes, you can you can have controller support in there, mm-hmm. but I'm like, here's the thing: the default is going to be the touchscreen, so you're going to yeah. build for the touchscreen. Yeah, that was yeah that exactly. So the whole game was built with a touchscreen, and then um, we actually got a request from Amazon. Uh, they were releasing the mm-hmm. I actually can't say that, but they were releasing the the Amazon TV. Uh, oh yeah, the the yeah. Fire. Yeah, the the yeah the Fire TV device. So we they asked us if we want to do like a con- console version of the mobile version for Amazon. Um, which meant we had to go back because our UI was based on uh, touch only, so there was no controller support at all. That means we had to go back and then actually, um, actually, yeah, add con- uh, controller support for that, uh, which was interesting, very yeah, interesting to do very late in the process. Um, so yeah, that actually I believe after that we also added support for the Bluetooth controllers. So from the beginning, those weren't really supported at all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, how did you get involved in uh, Terraria in the first place? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't really know the whole story, but as far as I understand it from Peter and uh, Maurice, like the, co- the founders of this company, they we were friends with another Dutch company uh, called Engine Software. Uh, they were doing the, the console version so the, for the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. Um, and then uh, Five Five Games, the publisher, they they asked them to, oh guys, could you do a mobile version as well? And they they didn't have the capacity for that, so they would uh, point them to us. And I think that's how we got the the job. Now, uh, was it hard like fitting the actual game in the mobile space, or? Yeah, yeah, a lot. Like um, Terraria is huge. Um, yeah, I'm sure, a lot of people played it. Did you play it? Oh yeah, I played Terraria. Yeah, yeah so, you know, I it's think a I even pretty big game. Yeah, it is a huge game. Uh, I'll uh, so say, I've only played it on the PC, but <laughs> fair enough. 
yeah, it's a it's a huge game and fitting that on a mobile. Um, so nowadays it's a lot easier because mobile phones have a lot of uh, memory, a lot of CPU power, a lot of graphics power. Um, so, but we started with that like three years ago um, when we started to support the iPad One, for example, mm-hmm. um, which for developers is uh, you know the worst device possible mm-hmm. uh, because it's the hardware is really bad. Um, but uh, yeah, so we had to support that. So the main thing that we would be was yeah the main problem that we had was the memory usage. Like Terraria would easily use 200, 300 megabytes of RAM, um, which mobile phones back then didn't have. Um, for example, the iPad One uh, only had 100 megabytes available for your app. Um, so that was like the main thing that we focused on, making sure that the memory stays uh, limited, um, which unfortunately meant that we had to, uh, um, yeah, I guess slim the world sizes, which is uh, actually like recently we updated it so it's the same size as the PC, but uh, like a long time it wasn't even, uh, like it was almost half the size of the original small PC size. Sounds about right. Uh, Now, how did updates work because you know Terraria is one of those games that uh, keeps getting updates over the years mm-hmm. yeah that is correct uh, so what we usually happen is that Logic um, would uh, push a fan or like a patch to the to the Steam version and about at the same time we would get new source code from them um, but the tricky situation here was that his uh, source code is made in C Sharp and our version of the game is made in C++ which are two different programming languages they sound similar uh, but they are quite different. Um, you can't really compare them, <laughs> um, which means that you know any time Relogic added a feature, we had to basically reprogram it into our version of the game, mm-hmm. um, which adds like quite a delay actually. Um, so if, if Relogic would make a patch, it would take about six months before we had the same functionality. Um, and this is just also because you know we're dealing with iOS, we're dealing with Android, we're dealing with Amazon, you know, all the extra stuff that gets added with a mobile. Um, and then, you know, rebuilding his features is, uh, yeah, was quite a challenge. Uh, no doubt. Now, which platform is, in your estimation, better to work with, iOS or Android? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I would say probably... Uh, probably iOS. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Mac. Um, and on a Mac, like you, if you do iOS, you have to use a Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in the end, like the integration of the developer tools with iOS is just, yeah, it's really good compared to Android on, on Windows. Uh, I'd have to take your word for it. I don't think anyone here programs uh, certainly not in the mobile <laughs> space anyway. But All right. Like, yeah, it's like I don't know if yeah. But if, if if programmers uh, listen to this, they they can sort of understand that I guess. Yeah. That they integ- yeah. And uh, it's also well, you know, Android has the compatibility, you know, the kind of compatibility problems that like Windows has. Yeah. Yeah. So Google solved a lot of those issues actually, and I believe if you program in purely Java. Uh, which is like the main language you use on Android, uh, then Android isn't that bad. Um, I think still think iOS is better. Um, but uh, for Terraria, we weren't using Java. We were using C++. Um, 
um, and that requires like a whole different tool chain and like that adds a lot of its own problems which is why with iOS it was just a lot nicer I can imagine now uh, did you also do a Windows Phone version of uh, Terraria? Yeah. yeah we it's also out yeah Windows Phone uh, uh, actually that's quite a lot of delays um, I don't entirely remember why um, but yeah so for Windows Phone, it wasn't that bad because, um, like the integrate, yeah. So the Microsoft has its own uh, program called Visual Studio. You might have heard of it. It's uh, yeah. it's an editor that programmers use, um, and there's like a lot of programmers use Visual Studio, and the, if you want to do Windows Phone, you have to use Visual Studio. So it was quite easy to actually transition to that. Um, but uh, in the end, I don't like think. Yeah, when this phone was like delayed by a year. Yeah. Uh, well, like, um, are you still working on the uh, mobile versions of Terraria? Uh, yeah, yeah, we are still working on it. We're releasing patches. Um, I think the last patch we released was that we um, that we had bigger world sizes. I think that was the last one. Is there anything still? Missing from the mobile versions that are in the, like the PC version or the console versions. Mm, I think console and mobile are on the same level, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think that we're fully up to date compared to the PC version. Yeah, I, uh, uh, I believe in Terraria the console has few unique things, but also is missing a lot of the more recent updates. Yeah, exactly. Um, we should have, like, I believe, so mobile and consoles use to share, like the same code base, actually. Um, so we also have those special things, but I'm not fully up to date on it anymore. Um, but yeah, so I believe PC is still ahead with the content. And um, shifting focus here to the 3DS version. Now, uh, I, I, I got to say, it's kind of a miracle that Terraria is running on the 3DS. <laughs> It is truly is, but yeah, I think so. It was really, really quite a challenge, but in the end, we did it. Um, we had to pull out a lot of tricks to make it work. Um, yeah, like again, the memory thing was a problem. So in the beginning, we had the 100 megabyte limit uh, on 2DS. It's a 64 megabyte limit. Uh, 64 megabytes of RAM is, you know, <laughs> yeah. is nothing really. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah, that was like a, like a, a one and like a miracle for us as well to actually have it running and on a decent frame rate. Yeah, and not to mention, uh, it's worth noting that uh, this is a game that works on the old 3DS as well. Like, yeah. You know, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, I on the, do you think it gets a boost from the new 3DS? Definitely. Uh, the new 3DS is a lot faster than the old 3DS. Um, I believe that the Terraria runs on 60 FPS on the new 3DS, where it runs on 30 FPS on the old 3DS. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. The new 3DS is, is yeah a lot faster. Like the main thing they added was uh, double the RAM, so you have a lot more memory available, which I think games like to use. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Like there's only a handful of games that actually require the new 3DS, but there's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of games that benefit from it. Yeah, like well, any game. You can't go wrong with extra RAM. No, exactly. <laughs> but it's also yeah. If you buy a new 2DS now, you can still play your old 3DS games, and they will just run better. It's yeah, it's just that simple. Mm. 
And um, how did you adapt to the two-screen uh, layout of the 3DS? Yeah, that was uh, quite a quite a challenge as well. Like, so we had a lot of mockups. I think we made like 20 or 30 mockups of the UI. Um, and we so what we did in the beginning is before we even had the game running, we would make a functional UI on the 3DS, uh, so we could try it out, like how it actually is. Um, and we noticed that people. You know, some people played with the pen. A lot of people just, you know, used their fingers on the touchscreen. Um, so we there was like a lot of issues there, like getting that right. Um, but I, yeah, I think in the end we did a really good job on it. I'm really happy about it. Um, but it was quite difficult. Like the main thing is that, like, the main question for us was for a long time was like, do people look at the top screen or do people look at the bottom screen when they're playing the game? Um, and so people would usually look at the top screen, but when you're busy with the inventory or building, you would usually look at the bottom screen. So that's why we added a, um, you know, a sort of second window when you're building, so it would zoom in on the bottom screen and you could use your touch to build. Uh, from what I heard, it actually really works well with the inventory management of the Terraria. Yeah, yeah I think so too. I think review or yeah, especially reviewers liked it. Um, I haven't heard many complaints about it either, so that's that's pretty good. Well, it's one of the better uses for the touchscreen, you know, especially an older touchscreen that that the 3DS uses. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. It's not capacitive, but uh, like it's uh, based on the touch or how hard how hard you press. It's called a resistive touchscreen. Yeah, resistant. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah, it's based off of pressure. There's like two uh, uh, screens, and there's a bubble of air, and it reacts to uh, pressure versus yeah. you know the, the capacitive touch of uh, fingers. Yeah, yeah the the downside the, of the the downside of this is that you can't multi-touch on the 3ds. No, no, but it is. Uh, I believe it's more um, <laughs> it's more resistance to, to wear and tear. The resistance yeah. touch. Yeah, and it lets me use my make. fingernail instead of having to get yeah. get fingerprints all over everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Now, uh, what did you have to sacrifice in order to get the Terraria and DS space? Um, not that much in the end, actually. Um, I think we have 1.2.4 updates completely in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the world sizes are not as not as big. That is the only thing I would I would say. Um, and there are several cases actually where you can, um, you know, make the game run very laggy. Um, <laughs> so that that is still possible to not have a have a nice frame rate. But usually, you know, moons and their stupid zombies. Yeah, everywhere. yeah, yeah. And if you would, especially if you have a gun that, you know, if you have a lot of projectiles, mm. that is in those cases the game will not run smoothly anymore. Uh, <laughs> so don't do that. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, in the end, I think, yeah, we didn't actually sacrifice that much content, um, which was quite surprising to us. Uh, but we, yeah, we pulled out a lot of tricks to actually yeah, make everything as tiny as possible. Like, we spent days on, you know, making sure that we can get rid of this one bit in a memory, and then, you know, it would save up like a megabyte. And, you know, it's very technical, but, uh, yeah. I don't doubt it, but it seems to have paid off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, we're really happy with it. Yeah, and I think the game got updated not too long ago on the 3DS. 
Yeah, yeah, we're releasing, I believe, one more patch. Yeah, I think we're releasing one more patch actually after this one. Uh, and what's in the uh, current patch? I think it's. Um, hmm, I'm actually not sure. I think it was like a small bug fix related to multiplayer. Okay, uh, so it's not like a bit, you know, one of those big content update patches that I like to do. No, 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 no. Because I think for the 3DS, we're we're pretty much at the limit. Um, if you want to do any new content updates, they're going to be have to be for the new 3DS only. Uh, uh, so yeah, I, so for now I would not expect any more content updates. And you're not involved with the Wii U version, are you? Uh, no, no, that is uh, Engine Software, the other company. Uh, okay. Right. Um, so shifting from Terraria to your uh, current work, um, Anti Gods. Right. Mm-hmm. So first of all, what is this game exactly? So, Antigods is a 5v5 stonepunk battle arena game. Uh, and basically what you do is you have two teams of five totems, which is like the giant stone statues being controlled by uh, you know, tiny Mayans. And uh, uh, they are trying to power up their own titan, which is this giant moving battle fortress. And they want to use that to destroy the other team's titan. So it's uh, it's it's uh, it's got some of the uh, DNA of uh, Rocket Riot, basically, um, because it's also a side view uh, shooter. Uh, but it's got a lot more uh, tactics and and strategy going on. Well, uh, in what like in what fashion? Like, can you actually like plan out your attacks beforehand or something? No, it's real time, so. Mm-hmm. It is more that you would, you know, ad hoc change the strategy, uh, similar to, um, yeah, I guess similar to to a Dota or like a League of Legends. I see. Mm-hmm. And what makes you want to return to the world of arena shooters? Yeah, well, I think with Rocket Riot, we always had the feeling that it was just a good game. But there was yeah. like more potential, and there was more to be done in that design space, basically. Yeah. So the the one thing that we really liked about Rocket Ride, which was you know our original game, um, mm-hmm. is the destructible uh, level that you can just destroy anything, and yeah, it feels really nice. That was it's sort of the core of this game as well. It's, again, you can destroy the entire level, um, but with Rocket Ride, it's more that you would destroy a pixel or like a 3D pixel. Um, but in this case, you will destroy more than just one single pixel. It would be, mm-hmm. you know, it's like huge stone slabs that you can destroy, and they would break off, and you know, dust would fall down, and and eventually it will grow back again. Um, but yeah, it is much more organic than before. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this is the tactics and the strategy behind it. Like uh, like like I was saying, Rocket Ride is a very arcadey game. Just mm-hmm. pick up and play. That's it. Um, but with Antigods, we're trying to have yeah, it's more more tactical gameplay. Yeah, the the Titan plays a really big role in the game because um, like at the same time it's your like most powerful weapon, but it's also the base that you spawn it. And you can actually kind of use it to hide behind it, and uh, you can you can move this throughout the level, and you spawn then at the position where your Titan is at. So it, it's got a really big influence on uh, the flow of the game. And um, where did the whole, what you call, stone punk aesthetic come from? 
know, like why Mayan civilizations and uh, all that? Yeah, that is a, is a good question. Uh, <laughs> so I remember just, I remember, so the word stone punk comes from a meeting, and I don't, I believe it was Tom, which is our lead artist, said it. Uh, yeah. But I don't remember. Like it was sort of like a thing that we all came, uh, you know, we all just like yeah, stomping. That's that's it. That's going to be you know how the game's going to look. Yeah. Um, it basically described everything we had in our minds in a single yeah. word, and that that helped us a lot. And people seem to like the word, and and so do we. So <laughs> nice. Mm. And um, once again, why go with like Mayan versus you know like keeping in with like the rocket right aesthetic, for example? Mm. So, so yeah, go ahead. I, I think it's uh, like one of the reasons just because Tom, our artist, like likes the aesthetic, and also because it hasn't been done that often before. Like it's mm. um, like. He also didn't want to work on another uh, like voxel-based game, basically, oh. <laughs> and neither did the rest of us. Um, so when we were looking for new new directions, he came up with concepts that included the uh, Mayan aesthetic. Mm. Yeah, and mind you, we have a lot of uh, <laughs> concepts, a lot of things we tried actually. I think our first prototype of the game was in a similar style to Rocket Ride. Um, but a bit darker, a bit more edgy. Um, but yeah, that you know, that even though it looked pretty good, it wasn't really something that you know that would actually be really nice to look at. Um, and with you know, so then we tried like completely different ways, and one of them was the Mayan style, and especially um, what Tom really liked was the gold. The, so they had like these gold, you know, gold-plated uh, statues. And you would have the stone, which was very matte, so you know didn't really reflect much. And then it had like this gold part, which suddenly ref- reflected a lot of light. Hmm. Yeah, he found that really interesting. So, indeed. And uh, let me see here. Oh, uh, the name. Uh, where where is the name Anti? And uh, I should clarify something. That's Anti as in before, not Anti as in against. Yeah, yeah. Anti with yeah. an E. Yes. And anti also as an upping the ante, like a, like a, like a bet sort of. So it's got a double meaning actually. Ah. So it's um, oh, like some of the story behind the the universe that we've got is that it's uh, that you're playing as an anti god. So you're not a god yet, but like if you uh, win enough of these competitions, then you become a god. So that's where uh, that's that's one explanation of the name anti god, and the other explanation is um, because you're fighting for this uh, energy that you're gathering during a match. Um, that you're actually uh, like the the team that wins gets all the energy. So it's kind of like having a bet, and then the winner takes it all. Indeed, and uh, I've been meaning to ask, um, what is the silk? Okay, so silk is um, narratively it's it's like um, made up of silk ropes, which is this energy that in our universe is present everywhere, but it becomes uh, more and more um, it gathers and you can spin it up when uh, the the totems, the the anti gods when they are nearby, um, and it's it's the energy that basically fuels the titan and the totem and all the other 
Yeah, like, the natives and everything, basically. Yeah. Everything resolves around it. And it's more like the way, this, like Vita's saying, it's, it, you have to spin up. So it is everywhere, but you have to gather it and put it in like these tight strings to, to actually be able to transfer it, yeah. to capture it. Now, is like the goal of the game to gather the silk, or is it to destroy the other team, or is it both, or is it... it the the goal is to destroy the other team's titan. Um, but like if, if if you're just gonna take your full team and go to the other team's titan, then they'll have a pretty easy time defending it, and they'll kill your team, and then they'll start gathering energy while you're dead, and then they take control of the level, and then they start powering up their own titan. So you're basically at a uh, like at a disadvantage. Then. So you do want to kill the other team's titan, but you can't do it directly from the start of the game. Uh, so you have two uses for, for Silk. Uh, one is bringing it to the center of the level, where there's this turn-in point, and the more energy you bring there, the more powerful your Titan gets. Mm -hmm. And the other is by uh, is bringing it to various uh, native camps, and they have these temples. Once you, uh, once you uh, activate them by bringing enough Silk, they uh, start fighting for your team, and uh, they have this massive cannon that starts automatically shooting at your enemies. So that's a way to uh, take control of the level. Mm. So y you also, like this creates a dynamic where you have to uh, decide when you're going to go for, for the offensive and move your Titan forward and try to attack the other Titan. Or if you're going to take it more slowly and take control of the level. Hmm. Uh, now are you looking to have different modes in this game, or is it just the one um, mode, I suppose? Yeah, initially, we're definitely uh, intending it to just be the one mode. Um, yeah. But just trying to make this as fun and as interesting as possible. Mm -hmm. And then, if if the community ever, ever has a need for more modes, then we can look at that by then. But we first just want to focus on the single thing, so that that's as good as possible. Yeah, as, as possible as can get... Right. Yeah. Now, uh, is the game being developed in Unity? Yeah, it is, yes. Uh, it, gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's easy to work with. Um, no. Yeah, so Unity has its advantages. It's, um, you know, it's like an artist, they can do a lot in the, in the Unity editor. Uh, so they don't really need programmers to, you know, to get nice visual effects. Um, it has, you know, it is a large user base, um, so lots of people also use it. it. Means, you know, if for some reason you do run in troubles, um, you know, someone else might actually have had the same problem, uh, problem, and solved it. And then, yeah. So. Oh yeah, I'm like, uh, believe me, we have a lot of people on this show who work in Unity. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it is really popular. I, um, yes. Uh, you, like, yeah, you know, like I said, we we've certainly heard the uh, values of Unity extolled on this program. <laughs> yeah, it has its issues as well. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, especially like, well, Unity Five. Uh, uh, you know, that's starting to run into some like performance issues, as I understand it, especially like on the PlayStation Four. All right. Um, yeah, we. I don't. We don't actually have it running on PlayStation 4 yet, and we're porting another game, which is Made in Unity, to PlayStation 4. Mm -hmm. I don't. I believe that game is running fine. So yeah, it might have been solved with like a patch or something like that, because they did actually do a lot of performance improvements in the the latest Unity version. 
well, that's good to hear because, like, I heard like uh, Firewatch, for example, was pretty unplayable on PlayStation. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I played that game on PC, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. But like I said, I've just been hearing a lot of complaints from like the PlayStation Four users when they see a used mm. game. Mm. Uh, something to look out for. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I played some Unity games on PC that mm-hmm. weren't exactly optimized, but you know, it's like that. You know, that's, yeah, so you know, it's a very, very is, robust and you know, yeah, tool set and all that stuff. Yeah, so the main thing is really easy. It is really easy to work in Unity, um, which also makes it so that it's really easy to to release something which maybe isn't that optimized. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, this is what I noticed at least in a lot of, of early access games that I play, is that sometimes you know you can just see that they're made by Unity. Uh, you know, it doesn't run as great. Uh, but you know, then then again, other games such as Firewatch, or for example, Hearthstone, they're also made in Unity and they run you know really nice. Um, yeah, and they don't really feel like Unity games, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like, sometimes people are amazed when you point out a game is uh, running in Unity. Yeah. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've played Ori in the Blind Forest, but yeah. that's a Unity game. Yeah, exactly. People would not know, <laughs> and that is good. Or the um, upcoming System Shock remakes being done in Unity. Oh, I did not mm. know that. Nice. Yeah. 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 Oh, people have been thinking that's a UE uh, four game, and no, it's, <laughs> it's Unity. Unity five. Yeah. yeah, Unity can render amazing things, definitely. Yeah, like yeah, it's like the problem. You know, one of the problems with Unity is because it's such an easy tool set and it comes with pre-made assets. Yeah. You know, it's ripe for abuse. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. No, exactly, and so. There is a certain yeah, so that's what you see a lot of like these days. I would say it's like a lot of people just use the default assets, use the default lighting system. Um, well, when they really shouldn't, they should make something for what fits for their game. Oh and yeah, like that's not even the worst. The, the worst is what they call the asset flippers because um, uh, ah yeah. You, you, yeah, you know, like Unity also has an, an asset store where, where you can buy you know, pre-made assets mm-hmm. and you can just buy those and make a game out of that and put it on Steam. Yeah, I'm green light. Yeah, it's it's really bad. Like in one and on the hand, you know, people buy those assets, right? And they can use them. Um, but yeah. yeah. But the, the, they're going to get caught. There's out. no. Yeah, yeah, obviously, and they don't really, you know, put any attention to their game. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe if I can get some bucks, you know, I made made money. But yeah, there's nothing yeah. wrong with buying pre-made assets and using them in a game. There's a problem yeah. with slapping together a game entirely yeah. out of pre-made assets. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely. no thought. Yeah, yeah pre-made exactly. assets are supposed to be a foundation, not not that not the actual not, game. Yeah. Form, you know, placeholder till you get the assets yeah, you exactly. want mm-hmm. finished. You know, it has to be fit and Yeah, that is like yeah, that is a big issue. I don't feel it's a Unity issue per se. It's more a Valve or Steam issue uh, where they have to have a better quality control. Um, Yeah, the the thing about you know, it's like you kind of can't have it both ways though. You know, it's like you're either an open floodgated market or you're a closed gated community. Like, and I remember back when Valve when Steam was that thing. We would mm-hmm. have developers on our show complaining about not being able to get on Steam. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of a no-win prospect. Although yeah, I will say Valve could do a better job policing their store by actually policing their store. 
Yeah, yeah, it is a difficult uh, issue. Um, like you're saying, like on the other hand, you know, in, you want some sort of quality control, but then it is getting a closed gated community. Uh, but policing also takes a lot of time. But I think they should just—I you know, don't know. Well, I have no idea how it works for them. I, I don't. Yeah. Well, the, the thing of it is, Valve could do that, but you know, doing such things would run contrary to their ethos. You know, which is very hands-off, laissez-faire kind of deal, mm-hmm. and that has its problems. But you know, I think we're getting kind of off track here. Um, <laughs> so. Um, do you do any pro- actual programming in Antigods, or is it all just like the Unity engine? Uh, no, so I'm the lead programmer of Antigods. Um, uh, yeah, I, we do a lot of coding. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't just make a game without coding. Not 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 even in Unity. Right. So the so for me. Like I, I never. I so I used Unity before in uh, in game jams. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know what a game jam is, it's basically uh, in a period of 48 hours where you make a game. And yeah, that usually has a team attached to it. Um, and there are you know a lot of multiple ones. There's called Ludum Dare, but there is also a yearly one which is called the Global Game Jam. And so I used to do that a lot of times. Um, and we would use Unity. Um, so that's where my experience comes from. So it was, you know, getting in 48 hours making a game is, is very hectic. You would take a lot of shortcuts, you know, code that would not work in an actual game, but, you know, works for a game jam game. And so, yeah, so that's where I know Unity from. Um, and the main problem I had with Unity was that it is, you know, very orientated on Unity itself using the editor. Um, but as a programmer, I want to use code. And, and you know, making sure that it is structured nicely, making sure that you know it's readable, that it's usable, that you know other people can jump into uh, into the code and see actually what's going on. So I took about a month actually. Uh, oh, what was that? What was that? Yeah. Sorry, cat. <laughs> <laughs> I thought my that mic is. was muted. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So a lot of you know, I took a month about uh, actually. Uh, looking into how I can get that done in Unity. Uh, and I found several ways, and I looked into all of them. And I, we found now a way that actually works really nicely. Like, the benefits of taking that month of actually researching architecture in Unity, how to, you know, structure your code. It helped so much. Um, so, Vitsa is actually, you know, it's our, it's our game designer, and, and he also programs sometimes. Um, and then, if, even for him, it was quite easy to actually get things done in code. Yeah, the the structure we've got makes it super easy to just build new features. And like, I'm I'm not an experienced programmer, but in this system, it's very easy for me to add things without screwing up the code base. <laughs> yeah. On your end, um, what's it like designing the art for uh, Antigods here? Uh, I'm not actually I'm not actually a game artist. I'm oh. a, I'm a game designer. Oh, okay. Sorry. So uh, I don't I don't do I need to explain what a game designer entails? No, 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 no. Sorry, I I uh, it's position confused. But okay, okay, that's, so that's fine. I assume like you design the levels and the. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's a very wide range of design work to do. So. Um, like f- first off, obviously there's the 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 uh, larger scope of design, which is just 
um, things like how does it play, what are the goals of a player when he's well, playing anti-guards, uh, what, what's the experience like, how does shooting work, um, like all of that, so the very uh, base rules. Um, like for, for me, that's always a very fun process because I get to do very high level design um, and really define what a game is going to be like. Uh, and obviously, that's always in, in cooperation with the rest of the team because you want you want to all be on the same line or on the same. Um, yeah, and it's like you know, we work at a small company, so it's not like we don't have any ideas. <laughs> yeah, but Vitz is doing like he has a strong opinion on most things, which is pretty good. Uh, but he definitely takes arts in consideration. Uh, but most of the time, we're all on the same line anyway. Most yeah. decisions anyway. Um, which makes working together a lot easier, of course. Yeah, it makes it very, very nice to work together. Um, li- like uh, today, for example, I've been working on the customization design of Antigods. So that's just looking at uh, how can uh, players customize the character so they can have uh, like their own uh, personalized playstyle. Mm-hmm. So that, for example, means that uh, first I have some goals I set up. So in this case, uh, let me look up. I've got my notes right in front of me. So the goal of the customization system is um, to allow players to choose a character that suits their playstyle and the team strategy, uh, to offer interesting consideration between uh, gear combinations, uh, to allow us to create new content over time that enriches the customization gameplay, and so that players have fun collecting more gear and unlocking new options. So those are the high-level uh, goals that I have, and then I start to uh, uh, think of ways that we can uh, accomplish that. Mm-hmm. So the current system we've got in mind is that um, a, a totem consists of three parts, which is the body, mm-hmm. the weapon, and the wings. Uh, the wings are basically the jetpacks. Um, so the body has a couple of statistics. Uh, assigned to it. So, for example, it's got a, a health and a shield to it. It's got a, a certain ability that it could use. It's got a speed modifier and it's got a size. And then finally, it's got a weapon type. So, this body basically gives a, um, defines the archetype of the character. So, um, w- one weapon type, for example, would be the melee weapons. And then within that category, you have a lance, which you can like charge up and then you charge towards uh, an enemy. One would be a drill, that's more like a constant, uh, constant weapon. Mm-hmm. And one is a, a re- repulsion gun, which just no- uh, causes this huge no- knockback. Um, so players are then able to choose first uh, like a body type, for example, a melee type with a big shield and big health. And it's got a projectile deflecting. The trade-off is uh, slower. Mm. And then they can choose what type of weapon they want to give that totem. And then finally they can choose a jetpack that has some minor um, effects on the total. So for example, they can choose to be even slower but have more health. uh, Or they could be um, faster but... um, the their weapon uh, charges slower, so there's uh, those considerations that that players can make to to make a character that fits their playstyle the most. Yeah. Now, is balancing all of those weapons a difficult task? 
Um, so we've currently got two and that's that's uh, interesting to work with um, but still relatively easy um, but I imagine once we've got a couple more weapons in that it's gonna be uh, be a pain in the ass <laughs> I think it's uh, it's really difficult to to um, to balance as well like we want players to be creative and come up with a new combination so we always want every weapon to be about on the same level yeah. But because we're also dealing with combinations of components, uh, yeah, it becomes very complex. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. But we're, you know, we're going to build tools to hopefully help with that. Yeah, but, yeah. it is going to be a difficult task. And well, how far would you say the game is along at this point? That is, uh, it's a good question. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, yeah, it, it is. So the current game, um, we showed it at GDC, and we showed it at uh, recently at Nordic, and uh, we're going to show it this week at uh, Indigo, which is a, um, uh, you know, it's a it's a Dutch uh, convention basically, mm-hmm. um, also for gamers. Um, so the current state of the game is playable. There is a vertical slice of the game, so there is, you know, like lots of nice art. There's lots of, you know, working good working code. There's lots of game design in there. Um, yeah, it is not the entire game as we envision it. Uh, no. Lots of stuff is just barely working. Um, so yeah, it is. Uh, it's hard to answer. That's <laughs> I really can't answer it. Like so, there's one way to look at it is is you know look at our production planning, and you know there's a certain amount done. And if you worked with Scrum before, you sort of know what I'm talking about. And if you look at that, I think we're still at least a year off. So. Yeah. Hmm. Right then. Uh, let's see. Uh, what consoles are you aiming to release the game on? Uh, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, PC. Uh, so Steam will be, or at least PC will be our uh, first launch. Um, and then, yeah, PlayStation and Xbox One will follow. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, I, like, would you have any plans for like the Vita down the line? Because I know like Sony likes to do that cross-platform stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, at the moment not. Okay. Vita is also a very specific platform. Uh, like it's only really big in Japan, and in other places it's not quite as big. And it's probably quite some effort to get it running smoothly on a device like that. Mm. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. Right. Um, well, I think that'll about do it for this session. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to Anti Gods. You know, I've I, I've liked what I've seen so far. Good to hear. You know, and I I think my uh, castmates here are looking forward to playing the game when it comes out. You know, hopefully yeah, we'll have interesting. You know, we uh, you know hopefully we can review the game when it when it's available, and you know we might have you back on the program when it's you know in a um, finished or near finished state. Yeah, it would be mm-hmm. awesome. All right, all right. Um, well, cool. thank you very very much for taking time out of your schedules to uh, be with us today. And telling us about your projects. No problem. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Once again, um, uh, that's Weets uh, and uh, Niels uh, from Code Glue. Um, if 
go pick up like Terraria on iOS or I suppose if you still have an Xbox 360 Rocket Riot. Uh, yeah. It's like yeah, actually, we'll be releasing Rocket Riot on Steam pretty soon. Oh, hey. Yeah. Hey. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, then uh, look for Rocket Riot uh, on Steam in the near future. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sign up for our newsletter for Antigods, antigods.com. Yeah. Please. All, All right, uh, and we'll catch you guys later. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. Yeah. All right, uh, that'll about do it for this installment of uh, Fragments of Silicon. Uh, be sure to tune in tomorrow for our main show, where we'll be welcoming back Stephen Akana uh, from Bandai Namco Entertainment. Um, we're going to be talking primarily about One Piece Burning Blood, uh, the new fighting game that's releasing on PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita, and Xbox One uh, I think next week uh, and the PC version is releasing in June um, yeah so there's kind of a caveat with the, with this interview um, they can't really talk about the PC version I'm going to be frank in the here and now that has me concerned like you know they're not like um, you know I got the uh, I got the stuff that they couldn't talk about in the mail uh, yesterday, and it's stuff like they can't talk about the exact release date, they can't talk about the system specs, that's a big one, and they can't talk about like additional features or how it compares to the other versions. Mm. I'm like, that's... Yeah, this is reminding me of Pirate Warriors 3 all over again. Yeah, I'm like, I'll be honest, that's some red flag stuff. I'm like, that's some, uh oh. Mm. Well, it, it it is a uh, current gen console game, so yeah. Uh, but I'm like, if could you at least like, tell us who the hell Luffy is? My God, who the hell is he? Well, yeah, we you know we can talk about it in like the broad sense. We can talk about it in uh, the sense of the characters, and we can talk about the console versions all day. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're just probably, just, just they don't probably don't have everything lined up for how they're converting it to PC yet. Yeah, that's basically like they're going to be announcing all that at a later date. Um, and, yeah, so, like I said, I, believe me, uh, I'm concerned about the PC version, I'm like, we're going to be reviewing the PC version at some point, um, I got the review slated for, like, the end of the season, but I'm like, the game could not be out by then, because we only know it's coming out in June for the PC. And I might not be able to play it if it's that kind of specs, because my graphics card is not that great. I'm like, mm, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they're not talking about the all, and that's that's one of the big oh, ooh, what are you hiding kind of deal. It um, might just be that they're that that's an afterthought or they're not ready yet. But yeah, yeah, that, but, that's that's the probably the best case scenario. Yeah, I'm like, so. We'll see what happens there. Now, um, we're probably also going to talk about Project X Zone 2. Um, you guys are probably going to ha- have to cover that more than I do since I don't have a 3DS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I-, I remember YouTube mentioning you wanted to talk about Project X Zone 2. So, and you know, Steven is, that's like one of the brands he's in charge of. Mm. So, 
keep that in mind. Yeah, I don't actually have two, but I have one. I keep meaning to pick up two, but I keep forgetting. Uh, I'm uh, and, you know, and anyway, uh, so, and, and I, we might be having MSP, but, well, here's the thing. Mac has a doctor's appointment uh, tomorrow. And it's certainly he said he probably wouldn't be here for fragments. He may or may not be here for MSB. Yeah, the 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 thing is, it's he's got it across the county, and that's why he might not be here for fragments. And this is a county in like freaking Arizona, in it, so, so it's it could be very good. Like, so for all we know, he'll end up parched on the side of the road under the unforgiving glare of the Super Mario Brothers three sun. Yeah, I'm like, or, you know, it's like, my point is, he might be not in time for MSP, so, mm-hmm. you know, we're still assuming MSP's happening, but, you know, Mac's going to be kind of iffy tomorrow due to, you know, a doctor's appointment. Yes, we will let you know when we know more. Yeah. Anyway, so until such time, I wish you good gaming. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.